Chapter Six of the Goddess of Atvatabar by William Richard Bradshaw. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Nigel Fisher. Day becomes night, and night day. Commander said, Captain Wallace, I beg to report that the pole star has suddenly fallen five degrees south from its position overhead, and the sun has risen to his midday position in the sky. I fear we are sailing into a vast polar depression, something greater than the description given in our geographies, that the earth is flattened at the poles. Do you really think, Captain, I inquired, that we are sailing into a hollow place around the pole? Why, I'm sure of it, said he. Nothing else can explain the sudden movement of the heavenly bodies. Remember, we have only passed the 85th parallel but a few miles, and ought to have the pole star straight overhead. Professor Starbottle has a theory, I said, that may account for the strange phenomena we witness. Let these gentlemen hear your theory, Professor. The Professor stated very deliberately what he had already communicated to me, viz. that we were really descending into the interior of the earth, that the bows of the ship were gradually pointing to its centre, and that if the voyage were continued we would find ourselves swallowed up in a vast polar gulf, leading to God knows what infernal regions. The terror inspired by the professor's words was plainly visible on every face. Let us turn back, shouted some of the sailors. My opinion, said the captain, is that we have entered a polar depression. It is impossible to think that the earth is a hollow shell into which we may sail so easily as this. If I might venture a remark, said Pilot Rowe, I think Professor Starbottle is right. If the earth is a hollow shell having a subterranean ocean, we can sail thereon bottom upward and mast downward just as easily as we sail on the surface of the ocean here. I believe an interior ocean an impossibility, said the captain. You're right, sir, said the master of arms, for what would keep the ship sticking into the water upside down? I don't say that the earth is absolutely a hollow sphere, said the professor, but I do say this. We are now sailing into a polar abyss, and if the sun disappears at noon today, it will be because we have sailed far enough into the gulf to put the ocean over which we have sailed between us and that luminary. If the sun disappears at noon, depend on it, we will never reach the pole, which will forever remain only the ideal axis of the earth. Do you mean to say, I inquired, that what men have called the pole is only the mouth of an enormous cavern, perhaps the vestibule of a subterranean world? That is precisely the theory I advance to account for this strange ending of our voyage, said the professor. The murmurs of excitement amongst the men broke out into a series of wild cries of, Turn the ship back! I encourage the men to calm themselves. As long as the ship is in no immediate danger, said I, we can wait till noonday and see if the professor's opinion is supported by the behaviour of the sun. If so, we will then hold a council of all hands and decide on what course to follow. Depart to your respective posts of duty until midday, when we will decide on such action as will be for the good of all. The men, terribly frightened, dispersed, leaving Captain Wallace, First Officer Rennick, Professors Starbottle, Goldrock and Rackiron, the Doctor and myself together. Dreadful as was the thought of quietly sinking into a polar gulf from which possibly there might be no escape, Yet the bare possibility of returning to tell the world of our tremendous discovery created a desire to explore still further the abyss into which we had entered. I confess that my first feeling of terror was rapidly giving way to a passion for discovery. What fearful secrets might not be held in the darkness toward which we undoubtedly travelled? Would it be our fortune to pierce the darkness and silence of a polar cavern? 
when i thought of the natural terror of the sailors i dared not think of our sailing further than midday in case we had really entered an abyss commander said professor starbottle this is the most important day or rather night of the voyage i propose we stay on deck and enjoy the sunlight as long as we can one glance at the sun sufficed to tell us the truth he was rapidly falling from the sky at midnight he was twenty degrees and at one a m only eighteen degrees above the waste of waters this proved we were rapidly taking leave of the glorious orb on an expedition fraught with the greatest peril and unknown possibilities of science conquest and commerce by a tacit consent we turned our attention to the scene around us the water was very free from ice only here and there icebergs flowed the diminished radiation of light produced a weird effect growing more spectral as the sun sank in the heavens Professor Goldrock pointed out a flock of geese actually flying ahead of us into the gulf, if gulf indeed it were. We considered this a good omen, and took heart accordingly. The captain pointed out a strange apparition in the north, but which was really south of the pole, and discoverable with the glass. It appeared to be the limb of some rising planet between us and the sun, that seemed faintly illuminated by moonlight. Professor Starbottle said it was the opposite edge of the polar gulf that was about to envelop us. It was illuminated by the earth light reflected from the same ocean on which Polar King floated. The sun, as he swung around to the south, fell rapidly to the horizon, and at eight o'clock disappeared below the water. Was there ever a day in human experience as portentous as that? When did the sun set at eight a.m. in the Arctic summer, leaving the earth in darkness? We knew then that Professor Starbottle's theory of a polar gulf was a truth beyond question. It was a fearful fact. But the grandest spectacle we had yet seen now lay before us. The opposite rising limb of the polar gulf, 500 miles away, was brilliantly illuminated by the sun's rays far overhead, and its splendid earthlight, twenty times brighter than moonlight falling upon us, compensated for the sudden obliteration of the daylight. It was midday, and our only light was the earth light of the gulf. There stood over us the still rising circular rim of the ocean, sparkling like an enormous jewel. It was a bewildering experience. In the light of that distant ocean, I assembled the men on deck and thus addressed them. My men, when we started on the present expedition, you stipulated for a voyage of discovery to the North Pole, if possible, and returned to New York again. The first part of the voyage is happily accomplished. We alone, of all the explorers who have essayed polar discovery, have been rewarded with a sight of the pole. The mystery of the Earth's axis is no longer a secret. Here, before your eyes, is the axis on which the Earth performs its daily revolution. The North Pole is an immense gulf, 500 miles in diameter and of unknown depth. Within this gulf lies our ship, at least a 100 miles below the level of the outer ocean. The question we are now called upon to decide is this. Are we to remain satisfied with our present achievement, turn back the ship, and go home without attempting to discover whither leads this enormous gulf? As far as the officers of the ship and the scientific staff are concerned, as far as I myself am concerned, I am satisfied if we were once back in New York again, our first thought would be to return hither, and, taking up the thread of our journey, endeavour to explore the furthest recesses of the gulf. I was here interrupted by loud applause from the entire officers and many of the men. This being so, why should we waste a journey to New York and back again for nothing? Why not, with our good ship well armed and provisioned, that has in safety carried us so far, why not, I say, proceed further, 
taking advantage of the only opportunity the ages of time have ever offered to man to explore the earth's profoundest secrets who knows what oceans what continents what nations it may be of men like ourselves may not exist in a subterranean world who knows what gold what silver what precious stones are there piled perhaps in mountains high are we to tamely throw aside the possibility of such glory on account of base fears and returning home allow others to snatch from our grasp the golden prize my men i cannot think you will do this our future lies entirely in your hands we cannot proceed further on our voyage without your assistance i will not compel a single man to go further against his will i call for volunteers for the interior world i am willing to lead you on who will follow me End of chapter six